This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. About four decades ago, many countries around the world, including Malaysia, declared drug abuse the biggest threat and menace to society. The solution, though, was to start a war on drugs, as US President Nixon had pushed for. But what if the war on drugs has been a complete and catastrophic failure? I'm Dashan Johan and this is Today I Learned. Let's make one thing clear. Nobody is arguing that drug abuse and addiction isn't a problem for the individual and society at large. Drug addiction can lead to reduced productivity, loss of employment and income, domestic violence, emotional and mental disorders, etc. However, the global war on drugs has not solved this problem in any shape or form. The philosophy of the war on drugs is that the drug problem can be solved through punitive punishments such as incarceration, prison sentences, and even the death penalty. Malaysian drug laws reflect this philosophy. Here's what Samantha Chong, who's a lawyer and drug policy reform advocate, had to say. So basically, there are about five pieces of drug-related laws in Malaysia. So I'll discuss uh, at least two of it. So the first is the well-known Dangerous Drug Act 1952 is a piece of uh, legislation enacted in the 50s that criminalized drug trafficking, manufacturing, use, possessions of dangerous drugs. So in the first schedule, it also defined what dangerous drugs is and specified the legal procedure for drug cases. And the second one we have is the Drug Treatments and Rehabilitations Act 1983. It is a law that provides for the treatments and rehabilitations of people who are depending on drugs. And the third one, we have the National Anti-Drugs Agency 2004. It basically established a national anti-drug agencies to deal with the treatments, rehabilitations, enforcement, investigations of drug offenses. One key note of the law is that the treatments and rehabilitations of drug dependents mm-hmm. is actually within the jurisdictions of the Home Ministry and not the Health Ministry. There's no difference between recreational drugs or drugs using for self-medicating or so. Under the Dangerous Drug Act 1952, basically there are two types of possessions. One is I will call the low-level possessions. It can be punishable by a fine or imprisonment not more than five years. And the other one is possessions that carry increased penalty. So, for example, if you carry 20 grams of cannabis but less than 50 grams, you can be jailed for minimum two years but not exceeding five years and be liable for three stroke. And if you have 50 grand and above, the minimum sentence is five years and 10 stroke. But say, if you carry more than 200 grams, you can be presumed to be in trafficking and the sentence can be death sentence. But has the war on drugs been a success? Uh, despite 40 years of uh, zero tolerance uh, global drug campaign, you will still see that drug remain a problem now. You can look at ADK's statistics. Mm-hmm. We can see the arrests of people who use drugs has increased steadily. And we need to understand that the dr- global drug market is one of the primary revenue source for organized crime. And illicit drugs industry now accounts for estimate about $320 billion annually, second behind counterfeit uh, products. So 
the drug markets cannot just exist on their own, mm-hmm. but it has to tie down with uh, the cartel, the, the corruptions of um, government's uh, offices, warlords in certain countries that use drugs to fund their activities. It is not a simple issues that when you arrest the people who bring in drugs, you will stop drug problems. Because we in drug policy, we have something called the balloon effect. So when policymakers and law enforcement crack down on certain drug productions country or certain area, these syndicates and cartels, they just move to another area. For example, from Afghanistan to the Golden Triangle. So when you are hard on Golden Triangle, they move back to Afghanistan. It doesn't stop the drug supplier because it is not a comprehensive strategy to deal with drug issues. Of course, they say if you stop the supply, you won't have demand. But the thing is, if you do nothing on the demand, we will never solve these issues. Looking back to the pattern in Malaysia, what is the effect of war on drugs in Malaysia? So as at December 2019, 25 out of 38 prisons in this country are overpopulated. And our capacity is 52,850. And now we have, in December 2019, we have 74,000. Right. So in 2017, 56% of the inmates in the prisons uh, incarcerated because of non-violent drug-related offense. I'm not talking about drug trafficking, but drug use and low-level possessions. And in 2018, 164,914 uh, people were arrested for drug-related offenses. And looking back at uh, in the context of COVID-19, we have uh, the latest statistic. So... Uh, 53,357 inmates were tested and 16,662 positive. So if you have overpopulated prisons, you will tend to have infectious diseases spreading uh, among the inmates to the warden, from the warden to their families and into the communities. So when we talk about war on drugs, we are talking about public health as well. And... I would say war on drugs in Malaysia has caused us a lot uh, in terms of people losing their job uh, because of uh, criminal records and people who end up having infectious diseases, for example, latent TB and COVID-19. Not only has the war on drugs failed to resolve the issue, it has only made things worse, especially for poor and impoverished people and minority communities. The war on drugs in Malaysia, the, the casualties, the victims are mostly families that come from lower income groups. Mm-hmm. So if you can afford to pay the fine, you won't end up in the prison. And from my experience, law enforcement agency tends to have a different approach when dealing with poorer society and a more well-off society. When it comes to a low-cost apartment, normally they will not hesitate to knock on the door in the middle of night and just arrest them. We see it on and off in the newspaper. And my experience in courts, I always see the poorest people end up in the prison. When I went to Sungai Buloh prison to visit a client, I saw a family, two women and four children. The youngest, the youngest child is just two years, two years old. And they were walking from 
the main uh, the Sungai Buloh Visitor Center, Sungai Buloh Prison Visitor Center, to the main gate is about one kilometers. So I stop my car and give them a lift. So it is from there. I she told me the story that her husband was arrested for drug use, and he wanted to plead guilty. He couldn't because the chemist report is still pending, and they lost their only breadwinner. But still, the family continue to visit him, to trying to give him the support that they can. They are not alone in this system. There are many more poor people that are suffering from this. So, for the same person, for example, if the accused he was arrested and he has money, he could have just pay a bail money and get out from the system. He he don't he don't need to be um, remanded in the prison pending for his case to be disposed. So we see that uh, drugs, a prohibition approach on drugs actually hit the hardest on the poorest communities and continue to make them more marginalized. Addiction is a medical problem that need medical intervention. So prison departments, they are not trained to deal with a medical issues and they do not have the expertise or resources to deal with it. So, sixty um, percent of of seventy thousand people inmates that were that were incarcerated for using drugs, it is expected that ninety percent of them will will relapse and use drugs again. And um, a part of that, once you are incarcerated, you will carry a criminal record. So that will mean that a proper and stable em- employment is almost impossible. And we all know that without stable incomes, people can be drawn to depressions, to anxiety, and this will push them closer to drug use as a form to escape from the emotional pain they are facing. So I would say that incarcerations actually has created more problems when we deal with drugs issues. Up to 63% of individuals in Malaysian prisons are those sentenced for minor, non-violent drug offences, including possessions of drugs for personal use. But what does non-violent drug offenders mean? Well, non-violent drug offenders are often considered individuals that have possession of small amounts of drugs or have consumed illegal substances but are not inherently violent nor are they a threat to public safety. Think about it. A vast majority of prisoners in Malaysia aren't serial killers or murderers or rapists or robbers, nor are they even drug lords, big-time drug traffickers and the likes. Rather, they are regular individuals who have consumed drugs. In fact, in a recent interview with The Star, Deputy Inspector General of Police Tan Sri Razarurin Hussein said that of the 129,000-plus people detained for various drug offences in 2021, 40% were arrested for positive urine tests, 40% for drug possession, and only 20% for selling drugs. So, two questions we need to ask ourselves critically. Number one, if you want to reduce drug trafficking, how does arresting more users than kingpins solve the problem? And number two, if you want to reduce drug addiction, how does putting drug users, who may or may not be addicts, in jail solve it? Also on that second point, why are we putting drug users who didn't harm anyone else, nor is a threat to the public, in jail at all? Palani Narayanan, who's a senior advisor on drug use and harm reduction at the Global Fund, shared similar sentiments on the war on drugs when I spoke to him in 2021. You know, we need to once again talk about the futility 
um, the absolute non-beneficial action that we do on the war on drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's always been a racist policy that started by Richard Nixon in 1970s. It was aimed at controlling and incarcerating poor African-Americans and Latino people. Um, and so you would, you know, you would see in the prison populations in America, there are, you know, far more black people and Latino people than there are um, white people. Um, you will see everywhere in the world these laws, you know, this criminalization of these drugs from Brazil to the Philippines. The people who are most affected are poor people. It is the people who live in the slums, the people who yes. live in rural areas, the people who live in the streets. Mm-hmm. The rich people can buy and use these drugs without being harassed by the street level police on a daily basis. The people who get shot on the streets in the, of Manila or in the favelas are people who are poor. And it's very mm-hmm. similar in Malaysia. You know, like I said, you know, 30 years ago when I worked in Chowkit, you will see these young people coming out from you know rural areas come and get into drugs and then they get caught by the police sent to Pusat Sarinthi or sent to prisons and then they come out and they go straight back into drugs because you know that's that's the life that they've known so I have seen people go through in and out of prisons and rehabilitation centers for their yes. entire adult life and what do you get when you send an 18 year old boy or a girl into prisons you don't get them to recover. What you do is you put them together with hardened criminals who know how to use better drugs, sell better, sell bigger drugs, and do better crimes. So that's what you're doing when you send a young person into prison. We need to change that. We need to get, we need to find alternatives to incarceration. We need to reduce prison population. And you know, so so the, the, the whole effort to decriminalize drugs in this country and legalize medical marijuana and legal and, and talk about regulation of marijuana is about not wanting to put people in cages for experimenting with drugs or substances. What we need to do, imagine what we can do if we just guide this 18-year-old boy or a girl to reach their full potential. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I know what I will choose. If we are truly a Malaysian family, like the government is saying at the moment, then we need to teach, we need to treat every one of our, uh, our fellow citizens as brothers and sisters. And so as a brother and sister, regardless of race and ethnicity, I wouldn't want them to go to prison or suffer the the consequences of criminalization um, for the rest of their lives. Okay, so if punitive punishment, aka the war on drugs, is not the solution, then what is? I'll be taking a look at this after the break. Keep it here on Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Today I Learned. I'm Dashan Johan and today's episode, we're exploring why the war on drugs has been a complete failure and what we can do about it. When discussing solutions to the rather complex drug problem, I think it's important to unpack three different phrases or terminologies when discussing drug policy reform, namely, the decriminalization of drugs for personal use, legalizing for medical purposes, and just legalizing, period. 
it is important to really get acquainted and understand the differences because discussions or suggestions on drug policy reforms are often met with moral panic, the assumption that advocates of more progressive drug policies are young hippies encouraging drug usage among the masses, when in reality, such is not the case. So anyway, what's the difference between decriminalizing, legalizing for medical and legalizing it altogether? Here's what Palanina Rainan, Senior Advisor on Drug Use and Harm Reduction at the Global Fund had to say. Decriminalization is a process of taking the criminal justice system out of the equation for those of our, those who use drugs, right? So literally it means if you are using a small amount of drug, if you are using drugs or are caught with a small amount of drugs, then you are not sent through the criminal justice system, which means that you do not go to jail. Hmm. Do, not, do not go to prison system. You do not go to the courts, but a civil procedure is provided. It's like a parking fine. You go into a civil process, like a center, like a counseling center, like a fine um, fine center, where you go in and pay your fine, where there will be people to assist you to get support and treatment. That's what decriminalization means. Decriminalization is taking away the criminal aspect of using and possessing drugs, right? Mm -hmm. So that's number one. Number two, when we're talking about legalizing medical marijuana or legalizing marijuana altogether, we're talking about medical marijuana and recreational marijuana. Mm. Medical marijuana is about this, the marijuana, the hemp products that has got CBD, and this is like CBD oil, um, CBD um, pills, CBD shampoos, you know, all of those that contain CBDs that don't make you high, but have got medical properties. Legalizing marijuana is legalizing all cannabis products that has got THC. While legalizing medical cannabis and other drug policy reforms are incredibly important, many experts think that the key step that must first be taken is to decriminalize the consumption of drugs for personal use. Unlike drug trafficking, drug consumption, whether abuse, addiction or otherwise, must be viewed solely through the health lens rather than a criminal one. Take Portugal, for example, which was suffering from a drug problem in the 70s, 80s and 90s. It was pretty much an epidemic. And then the government decided to take a radical approach to combat this problem by decriminalizing all drugs for personal use. And it worked. The drug-induced death rate has plummeted to five times lower than the European Union average, and it stands at 150th of the United States. Now, that sounds crazy, right? So how did Portugal do it? So before Portugal decriminalized um, drug use, um, the our situations were pretty much similar. Half of the people in the prisons were there for drug-related reasons and, of, of course, like what you say, the overdose epidemic. And uh, Portugal's policy basically have three pillars. One, there's no such thing as soft and hard drugs. It's only the health aspect with drugs. And the second is drug use has... Um, it's not a moral issues, but it has a lot of other underlying problems. For example, their relationship with their loved one and uh, with and the world around them and with themselves, that why people use drugs. And the third uh, pillar is that drug-free world is an impossible goal. So that is uh, a political policy. And what 
Portugal police will do if they come across a person who use drugs or who are in possessions of drug use. So instead of being arrested, they will be referred to a committee called the Dissuasive Committees. So this committee consists of three uh, experts. One, uh, a medical practitioner. Uh, second, a social welfare officer. And the third, a lawyer. So these committees will then decide if this person needs treatment or just need a counselling uh, session. Because we have to understand here, not everybody who uses drugs equal to people who are dependent on drugs. Some are just using drugs on a weekend basis. They do not need medical treatments, but they need counselling sessions as to why they are using drugs and what are the harm that might cause uh, if they use drugs in a very dangerous way. Then, with the shift of drug policy more people are actually on treatment in Portugal. Many expect that drug use will, will go up, but instead of that, they see a significant reduction in problematic drug use and overdose death because more and more people are actually referred to evidence-based treatment. And so it is not just decriminalizations in Portugal, they actually make drug-dependent treatment more accessible to those who need it. One of the key things that Samantha highlighted is that decriminalizing would allow governments to allocate resources from the Home Ministry to the Health Ministry, resources to actually tackle the drug problem using science and evidence, such as building more treatment centres, supporting community rehab programmes and the likes. Now, isn't this better than simply chucking people in jail without actually resolving the issue in any meaningful way whatsoever? Around 30 different countries across the globe have decriminalised drugs for personal use to some degree. Some, like the likes of the aforementioned Portugal and also Switzerland, Netherlands and a few other countries, have decriminalised all drugs for personal use. I guess one concern many people might have with decriminalization is whether it would lead to more young experimental users among the masses. But I guess the question then is, why is that a massive concern? Why we want to decriminalize drug use? Because we want more people to get treatment. And for experimental users, they might not need treatment at all. So I don't think that it should be a factor in deciding uh, what kind of drug policy that we are having and whether we should decriminalize drug use. And... Um, Many people will think that uh, drug use will go up, the drug price will go down if we decriminalize uh, drug use. We don't see that in countries that decriminalize drug use and possession for personal use. I think when we need to review drug policy, we cannot be, it cannot be based on perception, but it must be based on scientific and uh, research and studies. So studies from research Studies from countries that have decriminalized drug use show that decriminalization works. And if you look in Malaysia, let's admit it, drug is easily available. Even during MCO, drugs can be used, uh, can, drug can be uh, sent uh, door to door by the drug syndicates. But on the other hand, our drug dependent treatments is not so flexible. On and off, I get calls and messages where do I send? my nieces, my nephew, my son, my daughter who have drug-dependent uh, issues. I don't really have a good answer than saying you can send them to the hospital because you send them to the police and ADK, they can be detained two years in the compulsory centre, they can carry a criminal record. So I think 
these are the things that we need to consider when we review our drug policy. The negative implications of war on drug on these people and not too much focus on experimental users who clearly do not need addiction treatments. So I think there should be a clear distinction between these two. I think we are ready for this. We just need more education. To sum it all up, we need to end the war on drugs. But not because there is no drug addiction problem in Malaysia or around the world. But because there is. And the war on drugs has done absolutely nothing to solve the problem and absolutely everything to make it worse, especially for poor and marginalised people across the globe. What we need to do is use evidence-based, scientific method to solve the issue. We need to decriminalise drugs for personal use. I'm Dashran Johan and this has been Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.